0: This morning we shall look at an example of godly living. An example of godly living, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through to 24. Just look at those verses again now. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, Timothy, shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the father he have served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly timothy we're going to be looking at as that example of godly living up until now in this epistle the apostle paul has given instructions to the philippians and by extension to all of us on how to live worthy of the gospel of christ that's something that stuck with me from when we first started looking at this letter living worthy of the gospel of christ Namely, standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Do you remember chapter 1 in particular? It kept coming back to the gospel. Paul told them that they were not to be terrified by their adversaries, and that it has been given unto them not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. That is Christian living. Suffering for Jesus as well as believing in him. Paul exhorted them to live lives worthy of the gospel within the fellowship of the church. Specifically, they were to treat each other with selfless humility and consider others better than themselves. This really does go against the grain, doesn't it, of the sinful and selfish human nature. Paul then said... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he went on to describe (coughs) the Son of God's uh, humiliation and his exaltation. His humiliation when he came down from heaven into this world. He was obedient unto the death of the cross. And then God highly exalted him. With Jesus as their ultimate example of selfless living, Paul then said to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I I can't resist going back to that one. It's just pivotal, pivotal to everything really that we need to understand if we are Christians The salvation has been given to us, by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God, no boasting in heaven, none of us can lay claim to doing anything to secure our salvation, it is by grace we are saved, but having been saved by the grace of God, we work out our salvation we see the outworking of that salvation for example when you're saved you are uh, you become a royal priest in God's holy nation so you are already holy and blameless in God's sight you are righteous in God's sight because you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ you are holy you are blameless No one can accuse you, God has justified you, and so on. These things are a reality from the time you are saved by the grace of God. But then the rubber has to hit the road, doesn't it? And more and more, as we go along life's way, along that pilgrimage, there must be some kind of convergence with God working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. That blamelessness, that holiness, striving for holiness, praying for more holiness in your life, my life, a righteous living. In other words, the complete opposite to a sinful, selfish lives. And all of this is the work of God, God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why? So that God receives the glory. So this is where we're at at this. And I say this is pivotal because even yesterday I was speaking to someone, I found that we were agreeing on so much in the scriptures and yet we were coming in at completely different angles. And he, the person I was speaking to, I was agreeing with him when he showed so many verses from the New Testament on what we ought to be doing, doing this or not doing that as Christians. No one can um, deny these things. But I would look at all of those verses and say, well, this is working out your own salvation with fear, with trembling, a filial fear of your Father in heaven, as a Christian, for it is God who works in you, as a born-again Christian, God who works in you, because he doesn't work in anyone else, God who works in you, to will and to do of his good pleasure. We don't do these things, or not do this or not do that, in order to secure our salvation. And we're going to see a man today, Timothy, who indeed God was working in him, to will and to do. Of God's good pleasure. And for the glory of God. So the Philippians. They were to do all things. As they were working out their own salvation. With fear and trembling. With God working in them. They were to do all things without murmurings. Without disputings. That they may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. Shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. This is what we are to strive for. God enabling us. It's not just words for the sake of it here. Just like we are to suffer for Christ's sake. And we are not to be afraid of our adversaries with God working in us and giving us a holy boldness. We now come to the example of a man who really was, with the enabling of the Holy Spirit, living a born-again life worthy of the gospel of Christ, and doing precisely as Paul was exhorting the Philippians and you and me to do. His name was Timothy. He was a man who really did follow the example of the Apostle Paul. Remember Paul? He 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 lived by the word that he preached. He wasn't just telling people to do these things. He was doing it himself. He was an example. Well, Timothy followed that example and Paul himself, his example was the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, looking at Philippians chapter 2 verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey when he visited Lystra, in what is now, Turkey. Timothy's mother and grandmother, they were godly Christians, converted from Judaism, and his father was a Gentile. Paul enlisted Timothy to go on the mission field with him, but first of all, he circumcised him. Not that that is a requirement of being a Christian, it certainly isn't a requirement, um, to circumcise male converts to Christianity. Nevertheless, it was done to, so as to avoid offending the Jews who knew that Timothy's father was a Gentile. It was a case of becoming a Jew, at least becoming a Jew outwardly, in order to win Jews for Christ, without making compromises on the gospel. We do have to have that flexibility. We don't treat everyone the same. We don't talk to a Jew exactly the same way as we talk to a Gentile. It doesn't make sense. We have to be all things to all people without ever making compromises on the gospel. We can get a sense of the kind of person that Timothy was in the two epistles that Paul wrote to him when Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus we get an idea of what kind of a man he was for example paul said to him in one of his letters god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of of, of sound mind why do you think that paul was saying that to timothy maybe he was a bit timid maybe he was a bit fearful Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Also, Paul solemnly urged Timothy to fulfil his ministry by being faithful in the preaching of the word, even though that the time would come when people would not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they would heap up for themselves teachers and they would turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Do you get a picture now, or a bit of a picture of what may have been, what could have happened with Timothy if he was a little bit timid, a little bit fearful, and he had a congregation that was saying, stop preaching the gospel to us preach nice things, make us feel all nice and fuzzy. He might have felt rather intimidated by those things. Also there is 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 10, where Paul said to the church, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as also I do. Therefore, although Timothy was a kind-hearted man, it would seem that he was somewhat timid and he wasn't particularly courageous. Perhaps his confidence took a knock when he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. What do you think he saw? Imagine it yourself. You go on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. You see the Apostle being stoned and left for dead. That's really going to do your confidence a lot of of good, isn't it? You see Paul being um, beaten and, and thrown into jail. All of these things. Well, Timothy would have seen all of that. Going on the mission field with Paul must have been quite an experience and a challenge to the bravest of people. However, Timothy was someone who clearly did take on board the apostles' exhortations and with a boldness, not of his own, but a Holy Spirit boldness, with God working in him. He fulfilled his ministry to the glory of his God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, so much so that church tradition has it, so it is only church tradition, but we need to listen anyway, Church tradition has it that he died a martyr's death. At the very least, we can be sure that he saw the inside of a jail himself. Because at the end of the epistle to the Hebrews, the writer of that letter said in chapter 13 and verse 23, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. (coughs) Timothy had been set free, therefore he'd been in jail himself. Timid Timothy. Timothy does not appear to have been in the best of health either. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, Paul said to him, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake, And your frequent infirmities. Your frequent infirmities. Clearly not in the best of health. Timothy reminds me of one of the Old Testament men of God in some ways. Moses uh, was, as a Hebrew baby, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. When the Lord commissioned Moses for the great task of speaking to Pharaoh... That would have been a really scary thing to do, to, to, to speak, to go up to Pharaoh, even if he was your adoptive mum's father, your granddad in a sense, but even so, to go up to Pharaoh and to say, thus saith the Lord, and and basically tell Pharaoh that, uh, you, that the, he needs to release the, the Israelites, release them so that they can go and worship the Lord, You'd need a lot of courage for that. And how did Moses respond to the Lord when he was given that task? He said, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I don't know if he was just making excuses or that was genuine. Maybe he was slow of speech, slow of tongue, and he really didn't consider himself to be up to the task of speaking to Pharaoh. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute? The deaf. The deaf, rather. The seeing or the blind. Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be... With your mouth and teach you what you shall say. That's really something to remember, and it really struck me when I first heard that one, those verses I've just read to you there. God made the deaf, God made people blind, He did these things. And God can and is glorified in people, whether they're in good health, in bad health whatever take for example the hymn writer fanny crosby who was blinded at a very young age nevertheless with god's enabling grace she wrote thousands of hymns that brought glory to the name of the lord and she considered her blindness to be a blessing from god inasmuch as it stopped her from being distracted By the allurements of this world. Coming back to Moses, the man who considered himself to be unsuited uh, to the task of being the Lord's spokesman before Pharaoh because he was slow of speech, slow of tongue. His name appears in the chapter of faith, Hebrews chapter 11 where it is written in verses 24 to 26, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming or considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward, Moses was looking heavenwards and his treasures that were stored up in heaven the greatest treasure of all being the Lord Jesus Christ the fact of the matter is that God uses the Timothys of this world consequently to God be the glory as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 26 to 30. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And I say, thank God for that, that he's chosen the foolish. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written he who glories Let him glory in the Lord. Let's have a look at verse 20. For I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. There's no suggestion that Timothy was a carbon copy or a clone of the Apostle Paul, but what is very clear in verse 20 is that they were like minded. We're given that they were like minded. When people are like-minded, that normally means that they have the same interests, they have the same hobbies, maybe the same political affiliations, they support the same football team, and so on. Which is all well and good, but what Paul was talking about there is that he and Timothy had a kindred spirit. A kindred spirit. When it came down to things like the glory of God, The furtherance of the gospel of Christ, magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ, a love for the church and a desire that there be unity and steadfastness in one spirit in the church. They were of one mind, of one spirit, as indeed Paul exhorted the Philippians to be back in verse 2 of chapter 2. Look at that again there. Fulfill ye my joy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That's how it was with the Apostle Paul and Timothy. As such, the Apostle was able to send Timothy to the church in Philippi, send him from Rome where um, Paul was in chains for Christ, send Timothy to Philippi knowing that he would... He would, as it were, see the situation there through the same eyes as the Apostle Paul. He would be relied upon to care for the church in the same way that Paul would himself care for the church. And he would bring back the same report that, w- that Paul would himself bring back because they had that kindred spirit. Birds of a feather flock together and so do people who are like-minded. A like-mindedness is particularly desirable for an argument-free and peaceful marriage. More, Much more about that this evening, actually. But obviously, when two people come together as one flesh in marriage, it's a good idea that they have the same interests and that they are like-minded, and Christians having a kindred spirit. Within churches, people who are like-minded, and who have a kindred spirit, they tend to establish prayer partnerships, and they tend to keep them secret. I don't know what prayer partnerships there are going on in this church, but if there aren't any, and maybe you need to think about this, to pair up with someone who is of a kindred spirit to you, and so that you can come together and pray about things together. Pray for this church. Pray for my ministry. Pray for the various things that are going on. Pray for one another. You can be sure that Paul and Timothy would have spent many hours together praying in one spirit for the Philippians and for other things. That's something to you to think about. Let's have a look at verses 21 through to 24. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see, how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also, myself, shall come shortly. Back in verse 3 of chapter 2, Paul said to the Philippians, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Why was Paul saying that? Obviously, there was a need to say that that to, to some degree. That was not the case in that church. There'd be no need to say it otherwise. Now in verse 21, by saying, for all seek their own, he was describing the church in Rome as the complete opposite to what he was encouraging the church in Philippi to do in verse 3. Rome, not all of them in Rome, but certainly... Clearly there was there were those in the church in Rome who were the complete opposite. Far from having a kindred spirit and a concern for other churches such as the church in Philippi, it was seen from verse 21 that the Roman Christians were busy looking after their own interests, weren't interested about Philippi or anything else for that matter. The problem seems to have been that when the Apostle raised the matter of sending someone with news to Philippi, as soon as his trial came to an end, no one came forward, no one volunteered to go. Instead, there was deadly silence. Perhaps the Christians in Rome considered such news to be of no great significance and not worth going on on that long and arduous journey to Philippi, to deliver. Not worth bringing that news to them when they could spend their time more profitably serving themselves and doing their own thing. Consequently, Timothy, who was like a son to Paul, was the only one whom he felt confident to send on his behalf. It's interesting and it's important to note in verses 22 to 23 that not only was Timothy willing, he was qualified to deputise for the Apostle Paul. It says in verse 22 there, but ye know the proof of him, the proof of Timothy. He's proved himself. He was qualified to deputise to deputize for Paul and to be relied upon to bring back an accurate report of the situation in the Philippian church. And that is because he had spent time as a co-worker with Paul in the work of the gospel. Therefore, we need to be aware that a willing spirit in the church is, of course, very desirable. That like-mindedness, that kindred spirit, we need that in the church. However, when it comes to gospel ministry, candidates must prove themselves just as Timothy had proved himself. You don't have a novice stepping into the pulpit, for example. You don't have a novice taking Sunday school. It doesn't make sense, does it? Instinctively, you would know that. And Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, concerning the appointment of elders elders they are responsible for teaching in the church he must not be a novice lest being puffed up with pride he falls into the same condemnation as the devil so such people they need to prove themselves first Finally, what kind of a person is it who puts himself forward for the benefit of others, oftentimes sacrificially? Who does such things? I think this letter, it's really encouraging people as they work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, God working in them to will and to do, of his good pleasure. It means doing things for others and even... Taking risks. Not being afraid of your adversaries. Suffering for Christ's sake. Stepping out of your comfort zone. Things like that. Who does such things? It's someone who is really serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 verses 34 to forty. When he spoke about the day of judgment, this is what he said, speaking of himself as the king. He said, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it for me. Instead of doing a vanishing act like many in the church in Rome did when volunteers were needed, stepping out in Christian service for the benefit of the brethren and for their encouragement even when they are some distance away, even when it's going to be an inconvenience to you, it it involves having a kindred spirit, a kindred spirit uh, with Timothy and the Apostle Paul, and beyond that, beyond that, it will demonstrate that you really do let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're back to Jesus here, who when he was commissioned by his father, to come down from heaven into this dark world of sin, to suffer, to bleed, to die on a wooden cross, bearing away the sins of people like us, thoroughly undeserving people like us. What did Jesus do? He didn't say, "Oh well, actually, I don't want to. could have done. I've got other things to be getting on with. The Son of God, no less, came down into this dark world of sin. And he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will Oh my God, your law is written in my heart. That's a prayer, isn't it? That's a prayer for you. I know we're not Jesus, but nevertheless, if we pray those things, we'll be praying biblically. Pray that you would be some, pray that you would be someone who delights to do the will of God. And that God's law is within your heart. His word is within your heart. That you're like the psalmist that I'm like the psalmist in Psalm 1 who meditates on the law of God day and night. Such a person is like a tree that is planted by rivers of water who brings forth its fruit in season. To all of you who profess faith in Jesus, he says, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen.